Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Well, good morning on this 7th of July, 2021. I was going to lead off this morning with um, actually a fairly extended reading from the first chapter of Job. Um, I think I will summarize that in order that I can address the developing situation in Haiti, um, where the uh, president has been assassinated Uh, The nation's first lady is hospitalized after an attack in their home. And I want to address what is going on in Haiti and what has been going on for the last couple of weeks. Um, And we have not been addressing it. And now, obviously, you know, it's very clear today that um, we should have been paying much closer attention to our very near southern neighbor. Um, All right. So I was going to lift up uh, the first chapter of Job this morning after, uh, you know, after the ongoing headlines out of Surfside, Florida, 36 now confirmed dead in the collapse of the condo building there, 109 uh, precious lives remain. You know, the language of the press is unaccounted for. You and I have talked in the past about, you know, the reality that no one is unaccounted for. God knows exactly where they are in the circumstance um, of them. Uh, I was going to lift up Job because I was uh, privy to a conversation among uh, a group of Jewish friends. I was just listening because it seemed utterly inappropriate for me to interject in any way. Uh, they were reflecting on uh, a passage from Job. You will recall uh, that Job had seven sons and three daughters, all of whom were killed in the collapse of the house where they had gathered together. Uh, that came, the news of that horrific event came after Job had learned of the death of uh, of his 7,000 sheep, his 3,000 camels, his 500 yoke of oxen, his 500 donkeys, and all but literally a handful of his servants, each of whom had escaped these uh, various catastrophes in order to tell him. Um, and it was in the midst of all of that that he learned that the house where all of his sons and daughters were feasting together, uh, the oldest the oldest son's house, uh, that a wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them, and they were all dead. Uh, to that, Job responded by tearing his robes, shaving his head, falling to the ground in worship, and saying, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked will I depart. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Verse 22 then says this, In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. Um, so uh, it is a conversation topic. It is worthy of having. I find myself wondering if some have charged God with wrongdoing. Uh, the conversation about responsibility is robust. So sh- so should the conversation be robust about the precious nature of human life. Uh, human beings are incredibly resilient, but our bodies, um, our bodies are not indestructible. Uh, it's worthy of conversation. Need need to be reminded of the reality. Um, there are many things beyond 
uh, our control, um, but God is sovereign over the circumstances of our lives. All right, so the headline news out of Haiti this morning is the assassination of the president. What happened um, on the night of June the 29th, I think, will become um, very, very relevant. And the lead up to the events of the night of June the 29th, uh, on June the 29th, a Haitian human rights activist named Antoinette Declare and a colleague named Diego Charles, who was a journalist for um, Radio Television 2000, were both assassinated in Port-au-Prince. Um, their assassins um, were not captured, nor were they even being sought. Um, the same night that these two individuals were killed, another 20-some people were slaughtered in the streets of Port-au-Prince. Um, and uh, Declare was clearly targeted in the attack. Um, she was uh, she was shot in the head uh, of the of the vehicle that she was driving. Um, and her assassination topped off weeks of unceasing and chaotic violence in Port-au-Prince. And so um, my, I will, I will make a, uh, I will make a statement here that we will see whether or not proves out to be true in the coming days. Um, but my suspicion is that those who were seeking to, unseat the president for uh, the chaos into which Haiti has devolved in the last uh, four years, um, found way into uh, into the home of the president. And that is, you know, this was a retributive act, I think, on their part. So um, Haiti is in much need of our prayers. Lots of folks living there um, in the path of, of frequent hurricanes and tropical storms, most recently Elsa. So let's be praying for um, others still in Elsa's path up and down the eastern seaboard of the United States. All right, uh, Pastor Daryl Crouch joins us next. We're going to talk about what is happening in citywide gospel movements across the country. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. challenge connecting with our friend Daryl Crouch. So you know me, I'm going to the leftovers. The leftovers um, is a, it's just a sheaf of paper that I have before me. Um, Things that I think, well, I wish we had time to talk about that today. So hmm, here we go. Now we have time to talk about it. Uh, Former President Jimmy Carter and his wife, Rosalind, they have been married 75 years today. It is the longest marriage in U.S. presidential history. I think that is pretty cool. Um, and, you know, when we talk about the American story or even the American dream, I think Jimmy Carter is um, really good evidence of that. He lived in a publicly subsidized housing. He ran a peanut warehouse. He became the governor of Georgia and then the president of the United States. Um, he he was he is a remarkable man um, and yet super average. I mean, he's he's an average guy. Um, so it's, um, it's, it's a fun, uh, it's a fun thing to be celebrating their anniversary with them. It's also a, just a great reminder of the vows that we make in marriage, the vows we take in marriage. Um, and maybe a good, 
day to revisit your marriage vows if you are a person um, who is married. T- today's a good day um, to just say to that other person, you know what? You know, we could renew our vows right now for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health, forsaking all others until death do us part. I am yours and you are mine. I cherish you. I love you. I am devoted to you. You are every day a gift and reminder of God's goodness and grace in my life. Um, the circumstances of life being what they are, the challenges we have faced together, the road before us. One of the things that Jim and I like to say to each other frequently, frequently, just look at each other, catch each other's eye, and just say, all the way home. All the way home to the Father's house. That's our commitment to each other. Um, and, you know, marriage here is a, uh, is a, is a glimpse, is a foretaste. It's a sign given by God that looks beyond this life to the reality of uh, Christ and his bride, the church. And so um, I realize that here marriage is often broken and sometimes very, very difficult. But let's be reminded today uh, of, of its goodness as God's grace to us. Um, so there you go. Um, all right. Uh, let me um, let me share one story out of Surfside that uh, you may not have heard about yet, even as we continue to uh, pray for all the folks who are on the scene there seeking to recover now the bodies of um, of those who died in that very, very tragic event. Uh, yesterday, there were two young sisters who were buried, and they were buried in the same casket. Um, Four and 10-year-old girls buried alongside their parents on Tuesday, um, and they were buried together. And I just, um, it's just one of those stories that tears at your heart. Obviously, this entire family perished together, um, and uh, this this family um, of these two little girls worshipped in uh, the Catholic parish of St. Joseph, just three blocks from the Champlain Towers South Building. Um, and the the pastor asking for continued prayers as 15 of their parishioners are still missing. And I'm not sure that in all of this we have focused on the impact to institutions in the community. You know, the obviously the schools where these children um, attended, uh, the churches and the synagogue where these people worshipped, the communities of which they were a part, their employers, their their surviving neighbors, on and on and on and on and on. Um, the, the ripple effect of this catastrophic event. And so let us be renewing our prayers today for for pastors and churches and other religious communities in the area responding to the questions that people are asking and the deep, deep grief they are experiencing. Um, And let us be praying again for people in the path of this now uh, tropical storm, Elsa, um, as it makes its way through Florida and up the eastern seaboard of the United States. All right, we're going to take a very, very brief break. We're going to continue to seek to connect with our friend Daryl Crouch. We're going to lift him up in prayer. He's a pastor. Chances are um, he is doing something he did not anticipate doing this morning as a pastor instead of being with us. And so let's lift him up in prayer right now. We'll be back. We'll be back right after a brief break and knowing God with Greg Laurie. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen.
right, I'm mindful um, of just how precious human life is. And as we are reading headlines uh, around the world, I I guess I'm really kind of reminded today um, of just how dangerous a job being a journalist is. We shared with you um, about the assassination of a journalist in Port-au-Prince, Haiti, on the 29th of uh, of June, and then the subsequent assassination of that nation's president in his home. Uh, that's now just being reported. It is the lead story across every uh, banner in the country. Um, and then somebody sent me, hey, did you know that this Dutch journalist who's been uh, working to expose the mob there, uh, defying death threats for decades, um, has also been uh, shot in the head and assassinated in the Netherlands. No, I was not aware of that. So I guess thank you for sharing that story. Um, Do you know where your next meal is coming from? Let me just ask you that question. Do you actually know where, could you walk to the refrigerator right now or could you walk to the pantry and know where your next meal is coming from? Do you have uh, sufficient resources either within your own reach or do you know where the local um, food pantry is, food distribution center in your community? Uh, Do you know the churches in your community that distribute food? Would you have a neighbor you could uh, appeal to if you were hungry? Around the world, we have surging uh, food prices, and it is putting staple food items out of reach for an extraordinary number of people. Uh, in, In Nigeria... There is a staple food called jollof rice, J-O-L-L-O-F, rice, uh, that is now out of reach for average Nigerian people. In Russia, pasta is uh, has become incredibly expensive. In Argentina, uh, it is it is steak, um, and these are uh, the price of these items. The price of tomatoes has risen 30%, onions um, up 30%, both in Nigeria. Those are staple food items. And this isn't just a local problem. It's a global problem. Cooking oil and bread are hard to come by in India. Um, And in Argentina, which this just seems crazy because I feel like Argentina, you know, has a lot of beef. Um, But the cost of beef has doubled during the pandemic. And so um, consumer, the consumer price index for food country by country is what I'm actually, uh, you know, reading from. And in Nigeria, um, the consumer price index for food has leapt 200 percent. In Russia, 122 percent. In Argentina, nearly 400 percent. And the numbers are not rising, obviously, uniformly around the world. Um, But it is it is staggering when you think about um, people who were already living in what we would uh, call subsistence, let's say subsistence farming. And so let me be encouraging. um, Let me be encouraging everyone um, to, you know, eat local support your local farmers, support your local, um, you know, the people that are growers right there in your own communities. Do as much farm to table as you can. Here's the reason why. Did you know that the American affection for quinoa um, 
has meant that there are places where quinoa used to be a staple food item that people relied on, and now they can't afford it because the quinoa is now being exported in such uh, huge volumes to consumers in the United States. So, um, you know, get get your quinoa. I'm not going to say get your quinoa locally. That might be a challenge. But, you know, buy quinoa that's grown in the U.S. if you can. And so this isn't – I think that sometimes people think of buying made in America as, you know, this, like, I don't know, chest pumping America first philosophy. It's also good for the rest of the world uh, when we're talking about food. When we're talking about food items, if we can buy them closer to home, um, if we can buy them um, domestically, it's actually better for people everywhere. And that's because those people need uh, those staple food items in their own places and spaces. And so just an encouragement today to, uh, you know, I don't know, plant a garden if you've got uh, time and space to do that. Remembering our conversation that we had with the square foot gardener guy. I love that conversation. You know, everybody can uh, can have a square foot garden, even if you don't have space to, uh, you know, get the tractor out and till the soil and put in row crops, which, by the way, uh, the only thing that germinated in our garden this year, uh, well, our tomatoes are doing great. Uh, but and our sweet potatoes are doing great. We are really good at growing sweet potatoes here, uh, and our corn, but like and some watermelons. But nothing else came up. It's so weird. Like it's just totally weird to me that everything else that we planted didn't germinate. So <clears throat> we have to start over with some of those things. All right. What about you? Did you plant a garden this year? Uh, how is it going? How is it growing? Uh, what are you What are you growing? I've got some yellow squash. Uh, pretty much need. Um, Need some zucchini to go with it. I just, I've discovered, I don't think we planted a zucchini plant, or if we did, it didn't come up, which I know sounds totally bizarre because they're so resilient. Um, But you need, if you're going to have yellow squash, I feel like you need zucchini to make that like combo dish with the onions. So anybody out there who's got yellow squash ideas that I could use that don't require a zucchini, or I got to find a friend with a zucchini, which of course, it's like a boat. You don't really want your own zucchini plant. You really want a friend with a zucchini plant, right? All right. um, So uh, one one question uh, coming from a listener. Oh, this is in relationship to crops. And yeah, I'm with you on this. Why is the U.S. government paying farmers to destroy to destroy crops? Yeah, I I will confess to you, I do not understand um, the strategy of paying farmers not to farm, except when we are talking about um, allowing the ground to lie fallow for one year every seven. Right. So I understand the need to do crop rotation and to allow um, the opportunity for uh, fields to lie fallow one 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 year in every seven. But I do not understand um, why we incentivize farmers in the United States um, at the at something like twenty five million acres under the current program to um, to not plant. Like, I, I agree with you. I find that counterintuitive in a world where people are starving to death. So I, I recognize it's complex. I recognize that it is a food distribution issue around the world. I also recognize um, that there is dignity in the work of farming. And so let the farmers farm. All right. That is uh, that's it for our little leftover segment. Uh, next up, we're going to talk with Chris Martin and he and I are going to talk about nostalgia. Could, can you imagine having nostalgia for a future event Yep, that's one of the conversations we're going to have with Chris in just a minute. We'll be right back.
joining me? Is he joining me next or is he joining me now? What am I doing, Ryan? Am I doing the little tease and then we're taking a news break? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. So um, Chris Martin is going to join me next. He is an editor for Moody Press. He also blogs at the Terms of Service blog. He's a social media consultant. Um, Chris and I love to talk from time to time about the developments happening in social media. One of the things we're going to talk about today is something that Facebook has announced. It's called Bulletin. Um, and it is uh, it's designing that to actually compete with Substack, which is the platform on which Chris produces his newsletter. So I suspect he knows a lot about it. We're also going to talk about something that he has posted on his blog, and it's this conversation about nostalgia. And um, can you have nostalgia for something that hasn't even happened yet? That's a curious thought and a curious conversation. So that's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Everyone desperately wants to be heard. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. It's not bad to have an opinion, but for teens, there are two volatile elements. The invitation to publicly express personal opinion and the immaturity and irresponsibility they're still growing out of. Combine those two things and what do you get? A recipe for disaster and broken friendships. You see, when a teen is allowed to share opinions publicly, it often morphs into a mockery of others, judgmental statements, or just plain old meanness. Mom and Dad, pay careful attention to the opinions your teen is sharing in a digital age. There's more from Mark Gregston on the Parenting Today's Teens website. Get helpful tips for moms and dads when you visit ParentingTodaysTeens.org or search for Parenting Today's Teens in your favorite app store. All right, I have heard from uh, our friend Daryl Crouch. His alarm uh, didn't go off. He has no noble excuses available. I'm telling him that we're all good and we prayed for him. So there you go. No, yeah, you continue to pray for him because, you know, that's good. But, um, but yeah, he just needed more sleep, which we totally understand. All right, joining us now, Chris Martin. You can find him at his Terms of Service blog, which is on Substack. And that's going to be a part of our conversation today. He's also an editor for Moody Press, a social media consultant, and a guy I like to talk to. Chris, welcome back. Hey, thanks for having me, Carmen. Good to be back. It's good. It's good to have you. All right. So let's start with nostalgia for future events. This is so this is where we live. Like, right. Am I am I just going to do something so that I can take pictures of it so that I will have really good things to look back on and cool things to post? Or do I want to go do something because I want to go do something? Right. So I visited my hometown recently. My wife and I were uh, going all around Indiana uh, uh showing off our daughter to all our family members who hadn't been able to see her because of COVID. And um, I had the opportunity to grab lunch with a friend of mine who's a teacher in a local Christian high school and just talked to him about life, how he's doing. Um, I didn't go to this, his school, so I never had him as a teacher, but he was an influence in a lot of my friends' lives who did go to that school and just always have regarded him as a really wise, thoughtful voice. And so we grabbed lunch, we were talking about things, and I asked him just because you know I work in student ministry a good bit, and I obviously as someone who writes about internet culture and generally try to be in tune with like what teenagers are reading or what trends they're engaging with or things like that. I mean, teen culture is just so 
woven into internet culture that I'm often trying to just learn about you know, what teenagers are, um, how they're consuming content, how, uh, what trends teachers are seeing. So I asked him, I said, what kind of trends are you seeing? And uh, unsurprisingly, a lot of the trends that he recognizes in students today versus when he was teaching my peers uh, 15 years ago um, are trends toward anxiety, toward uh, phone addiction sorts of things, and, and all sort of um, mental and physical consequences because of students' constant connections to other students via their cell phones, their smartphones, iPhones, etc. So um, what we talked about, he, you know, he was very concerned with the content that his students are consuming via their phones. And I think that's a wor worthwhile concern. Um, on social media every day, we consume extremist content maybe or explicit content or even just entertaining content. And and consuming any or too much of some of that can be really harmful and, and not helpful in all sorts of ways in our lives. But one uh, thing that I said to him is that I'm I'm as consume I'm as concerned with our act of consuming content and our act of creating content as much as I am with like the nature of the content we consume. So what I mean to say is I'm as concerned with a sophomore in college or sorry a sophomore in high school uh, being as being obsessed with documenting every aspect of his or her life on Instagram as I am with. Uh, that student coming across a YouTube video with explicit um, uh, words in it, like lyrics or you know, you know, a song with explicit lyrics in it or something like, like that. Because I, I think that um, while we should guard our hearts and our ears and our minds against things that are not glorifying to God, we should also be concerned with what the act of consuming content does to us and creating content. And so that comes to the point of the nostalgic for events that haven't happened yet. Um, there's a comedian who has a new Netflix special out called, and his name is Bo Burnham. The special is pretty crass, and I would I can't recommend anybody watch it from a like just an explicit standpoint. But he makes it's he has a lot of social media sort of commentary throughout, and one of his biggest concerns of our current relationship with social media is that we are nostalgic for events that haven't happened yet. And what that looks like is it's like you plan a trip to Hawaii. And you plan the trip to Hawaii almost as much for or or at least as much for all of the amazing pictures that you will collect and then subsequently post on Instagram or your preferred social media platform. Uh, you're as interested in that as you are with actually experiencing Hawaii, Hawaii and everything that comes with going to Hawaii, whether it's uh, great pineapples or amazing coffee or just surfing some historic waves or, or at least observing them if you're not into surfing. Um and so I think you know, weddings are are a way that this plays itself out. Weddings, as I, I came up with a term I'm pretty proud of, are like matrimonial content farms where like we, we come up with this branded wedding hashtag, you know, like moving on up or, or something like that, that like goes with your your last name that the that the woman is maybe adopting. And we design entire weddings based on things we've seen on Instagram and wanting to emulate other weddings that we've seen on social media and and. What that's a symptom of, I think, is just constantly another thing Bo Burnham observes is uh, we start to structure our offline lives around our digital lives. So it's almost like our offline lives become uh, 
caverns or, or deposits of raw material from which we mine out content for our much more real, much more vibrant online lives, which really has become the primary mode of existence for far too many of us. And I see this everywhere. And it's really concerning to me. And it's something that like I I've kind of been harping on for a while. And this comedian, Bo Burnham, has just put really uh, profound words to, I think. I have a, a couple of um, real life examples of this. I spent a little time with my uh, niece and nephew. They're 17 and 18. And um, the places we, we were all together in a place that none of us lives. And the places they wanted to go were places that they had seen featured on people's Instagrams. And they wanted to go to those places yeah. and take their pictures in those places with those items or, you know, and I'm thinking to myself, well, you know, those might not actually be the best places to go or the greatest things to see while we're here or do while we're here. Um, and so I completely 100% understand what you're talking about. And the nostalgia for, um, for events that haven't happened yet, uh, I think is a, a great way of describing that um, and, you know, do I just want to go do, do whatever it is or visit, visit the place so that I can have a picture of it so that I can then on some social media platform, be nostalgic about the fact that I was there. Like, it's an interesting, it's a very, very interesting conversation to have about why we're doing what we're doing and what we're doing. And it does provoke us to, um, you know, to think about, what motivates us uh, to do what we do these days? I think that's super duper helpful. One one question I have for you. Um, this is related to another story, but I think it is. Um, there's a there's a connection here. Remind us, like, who owns the pictures that we put on a free social media platform like Facebook? Huh. Well, I I suppose um, I, I don't know that they that these pictures necessarily transfer ownership. Uh, but anything you post on any social media platform uh, can and is scraped by uh, artificial intelligence tools used to scour the Internet for information about the world, uh, to learn about where people are taking pictures, what pictures are popular, what pictures aren't popular. At the very least, the platforms you post them to are uh, are able to mine them for data about you and your life and things like that. And we could talk about some really creepy ways that that practically happens. Um, but also, uh, they can be broadly used. I mean, I've had friends who have had pictures of their kids uh, downloaded and used in ways that they had a serious okay. problem with. Um, so they that's didn't actually give authorization. Yeah. Yeah. So that's actually the story, the headline. And uh, you and I aren't going to dig into it right now, but, you know, somebody's Facebook post, uh, uh, you know, pictures of their child, um, those images of that child, that child's likeness is now being used as the face of these child sex dolls all over the world. And, you know, and the mom is now like horrified and fighting that. But, you know, here's the reality. You put it out there. You put a picture of your kid out there and somebody else is using it for commercial purposes that you don't like. But I mean, I, I just think it's a huge wake up call to people that the stuff you put out there can be used by anybody for all kinds of things that you could never imagine, nor would you want to imagine. Um, and I just, I just, I just wanted to highlight that one creepster thing um, today while we were talking. Hey, can we um, take a brief break and we come back, talk about Facebook's launching of Bulletin and what it is? Sure. All right. 
That's up next. Chris Martin and I are going to continue our conversation. His blog is Terms of Service. It is on Substack, which now has a competitor or is going to. That's up next. You're on Morning for Carmen. Conversation with Chris Martin. You can uh, subscribe to his Terms of Service with Chris Martin blog. Um, this week, he is uh, leading off with Quit Twitter. And um, it's a great, there's a great article that he is recommending we read from Caitlin Flanagan. Um, it really provokes us to ask the question what is Twitter or any other social media platform? What is it stealing from us? So, you know, is it robbing? you of uh, the time to like really read or go deep or be creative or be with your kids? Like, what is it stealing from us? Um, and then, you know, make the conscientious choice. Is that really worth um, the trade-off? All right. And the other thing that's featured in this week's um, uh, Terms of Service blog is this conversation about TikTok, which has really taken over. So can we start there, Chris? Um, TikTok, people now spend more time on TikTok than YouTube, Facebook, Netflix. Um, talk about the takeover of TikTok. And then um, I'd love for you to talk about um, Facebook's launching of Bulletin. Sure. So people are spending more time on TikTok than YouTube, Facebook, or Netflix uh, lately. And um, TikTok really is starting to take over the social media scene. Now, one of the biggest discussion that always happens when something like this takes place, it's happened with other platforms before, Snapchat, Instagram, et cetera. This isn't to say that like, oh, TikTok is the new Facebook or it's the new something else. Um, there's there, The idea that social media platforms just are going to replace each other is a bit dated. We saw that happen when MySpace replaced Friendster and then Facebook kind of replaced MySpace. But now, uh, sadly, because we spend so much time on our phones, there's plenty of room for more than one dominant social media platform. Uh, people spend time on multiple every day. Uh, and really, social media platforms, in my mind, fall into two basic categories. Um, they fall into uh, communicative or entertainment. Um, so like social media platforms that are based more on communication, like communicating with other people or the world, and then uh, social media platforms that are based more on entertainment. That would be like TikTok, YouTube, um, sometimes Facebook, depending on how you use it. So obviously, it's a connecting platform as well. So there's a bit of gray area between those two kind of buckets. But TikTok uh, in 2020 saw um, far more usage than it did in 2019 and even more usage than Facebook saw in terms of time spent on the platform, which is one of the most important metrics that uh, these platforms used to measure their effectiveness. So every social media platform saw more time spent on their platform in 2020 than they did in 2019, which is understood. But through 2020, um, TikTok really exploded because people were at home. I mean, really, in I started using TikTok in like December of 19, and I was kind of like paying attention to it, and it was it was making some waves. Um, but that's nothing compared to what it became. I mean, the number of videos that were starting to be posted in March of 2020 when everyone was bound to home in, in the early days of the pandemic and we were like quarantining for 14 days, you know, that sort of thing, um, it just really exploded. So TikTok is really blowing up and, and so much of Internet culture is being driven by TikTok content, TikTok memes and, and trends that come through. If people are even setting up 
product shops like on the internet based on products that are becoming popular based on recommendations on TikTok. So it's really there's this entire ecosystem growing up around it. Uh, it's also owned by China, so that's a consideration. Um, but uh, but yeah, so it's it's a fascinating takeover sort of of attention, at least for now. We'll see how long it lasts. All right. Substack is um, where you, I think, is where your terms of service blog, quote unquote, lives. Um, Facebook is launching Bulletin um, as a competitor to that. Let's talk about that. Let's also talk about like things like um, Clubhouse now being valued at a billion dollars. I mean, Clubhouse was like new to us the last time we talked and now it's valued at a billion dollars. Like that seems crazy to me. Yeah, these platforms really pop up and become very valuable very quickly. If for no other reason than they have some number of users that that could be you know that could be acquired for amount of money or data that could be acquired for an amount of money. Uh, TikTok or sorry, not TikTok. Facebook is starting a newsletter platform called Bulletin. So Substack has been kind of one of the biggest players in this space for a while. Twitter has a platform uh, that they just purchased recently called Review. Same idea. I mean, what's funny is. A platform like Substack, which is the first of some of these that was created, uh, was created to kind of allow writers like me to skirt, to kind of connect with our audience around the Facebook or Twitter algorithms. Like we, I don't like relying on a platform like Twitter or Facebook to serve my content up to other people. Uh, and so I like to connect to people straight through email, which is what Substack provides. And so it's really kind of ironic and interesting, though it makes sense that a platform like Facebook is starting its own newsletter service because the whole newsletter idea was kind of revived from the dead, for, you know, from email newsletters in the past, uh, was revived in the last few years to get around Facebook, to like avoid Facebook. And now they're starting their own because they recognize that a lot of people are using it. I mean, this is Facebook's MO. They see something else that's working and they either buy it or try to build something that's better. They've done this forever. Um, I'm, I'm sure that they've wanted to buy Substack and I'm sure that Substack said no. Uh, and I heard rumors to that regard. But they're trying to create a, a product that competes for attention via email, which is understandable. It'll be a great way for them to collect data, which we should all remember is the primary reason Facebook exists, to, to acquire data that they can learn about users and then run ads and, and take money for ads that can be targeted in a hyper-specific way. Uh, and we should all remember that that's Facebook's business model. And we should, as we said in the last segment, always be careful about what we're posting and how that may be used, not necessarily against us, but also not quite for our good either. Um, so when I think about Facebook and I think about the ways in which I think they're trying to, I mean, you know, I, this would be the <clears throat> most euphemistic way to describe it, help us uh, get around um, some some other challenges, like when you think about the way that Facebook might be trying to avoid paying for news to be posted on their site, is this maybe a part of that strategy? Like they can get around nations that want them to pay for posting the posting of news. And so they're creating a way for people to post news outside of traditional channels. Like, is, is that kind of part of this or not? Am I making a connection there that's not real? Yeah, it, it may be. I think the main the main motive for Facebook here is they recognize like they're recognizing that people want to consume content in different media, right? Like in in various mediums. If you wanted to use the incorrect version of that, but um, 
they're saying, oh, people are getting sick of the uh, people are getting sick of the news feed on Facebook and they're going back like email is in like people love email again, like email newsletters are exploding. Mm. Facebook is recognizing that and they're saying we want to add that feature to our platform. I mean, Snapchat created stories before anyone else, but now Instagram stories are the dominant feature in the field because Facebook said, oh, Snapchat created stories and they're really popular. We should add that feature to Instagram. And so they just took what someone else was doing and said, look, here's what I did. I invented this. And they're doing the same thing with Bulletin. They're saying Substack and other email newsletter services are really exploding in popularity. Let's make our own version so that these other platforms don't start cutting into the time spent on that go, all goes back mm. to that kind of thing, like time spent. We want people to spend more time with Facebook products than any other product. So let's create an mm. email newsletter product so that they don't use Substack, but they use ours instead. Yeah, we're going to keep following you on Substack. That's just the way it's going to be. All right. We're talking with Chris <laughs> Martin. Thank you, as always, so much for joining us. You guys can find Chris at his Terms of Service blog on, yep, Substack. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. All right, now that uh, July 16 and 17 is sneaking up quickly upon us, maybe you're looking at your calendar and you're saying, hey, you know what? Come to find out, I could join Carmen and Susie Larson at the Northwestern Christian Writers Conference. Um, I didn't know when they started talking about it months ago whether or not I was going to be available on July 16th and 17th or whether or not in-person events were really going to be happening. But hmm, guess what? Both are true. You're available. We're meeting uh, we're going to be at the University of Northwestern St. Paul at the Northwestern Christian Writers Conference, July 16th and 17th. We would love for you to join us. You can either join us in person or you can do so online, uh, virtually as a guest. And so the registration is still open, but my guess is it's closing soon. So log on to NorthwesternChristianWritersConference.com. Go ahead and check out the schedule. Register to join us. I'd love to see you there. Faith Radio is going to have a booth on Saturday, so be sure you stop by the booth and um, grab some, uh, you know, swag, Faith Radio swag. Yep, we got another hour up next. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.